This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Here we are again, come back around to another Holy Saturday. And this is always a, a weird show because we're talking about walking with Christ's enduring presence. And this is the one day of the year liturgically that we try to imagine the experience of not having Christ with us, of, of being with the apostles there in the upper room, kind of curious about what do we do now as they've just now run from Christ in the garden, uh, experienced the crucifixion, and now all of their hopes and plans have come kind of crashing down, and they're trying to reevaluate what is the, all of this experience that we've had for the last three years, walking with Christ, following him, believing that he is the Messiah of God, the anointed one who is going to bring us uh, freedom from our captivity. What do we do now? And so we know, because we have experienced it, we're on this side of it, we know that Easter is coming, and so we, sometimes we just kind of gloss over it. Maybe we, uh, we haven't been to the Triduum in a couple of years or several years or maybe ever, and we, we haven't really liturgically wrestled with that question, uh, but the church still offers it for our consideration, offers us this opportunity to experience with the disciples this loss of Christ. And I think they do this, the church does this for us, so that we can recognize these Holy Saturday moments that pop up in other aspects of our lives, where we feel abandoned or unsure or uncertain, so that with the liturgical knowledge that tomorrow is Easter and we're going to experience resurrection, that we can then kind of appropriate that same perspective and worldview when we're looking at difficulties in our own lives, uh, that we can look at those Holy Saturday moments with the hope that Easter Sunday with resurrection is right around the corner. Uh, I've gone through a number of these moments myself. I know that my guest has as well. We're talking today with Nick Delatora. He is the founder of Awaken Catholic, which is a wildly popular app that has, uh, they, they do more than just audio shows. They have a whole bunch of video shows put on in a studio that I think, if I recall, is like in your basement. Is that still the case? That is currently the case, but only for a brief time. Okay. Uh, Nick has a, a little bit of a shared journey with me. He um, he is a, a vocalist as well, trained vocalist, classically trained vocalist. Not only that, but his he was going to go a step further than I. Uh, he was looking towards the operatic world. Uh, and since then, uh, he encountered Christ in a profound way and decided that God was calling him in, in a different direction than his plans. He experienced one of those Holy Saturday moments, what do I do with all my hopes and dreams now? Uh, and then he went on uh, to become just deeply involved in the work of the church. He's been a, a music director, a pastoral associate, a director of marriage and family life. Uh, all of this sounds very familiar to me. Uh, and then now he he does a, a ton of other work, specifically uh, this work with the Awakened Catholic app. Uh, it's going to be a great thing for you to download and make use of during the Easter season and beyond. 
but I wanted to talk with you today a little bit about these Holy Saturday moments. Nick, thanks for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, TL. So here you are. You are a revert. Let's just start with the really quick overview of your your journey from being baptized and raised Catholic to being away to your journey back to God and to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So I was brought up in a Cuban-American household, uh, and we were very uh, deeply devout in that Sunday Mass was a non-negotiable. I was sent to Catholic school. Um, I was an altar server. Uh, but, you know, there's always like this dualistic reality, the, the, the challenge of, of the human heart, especially as it's growing and it's surrounded by, you know, uh, fellow classmates with variety, varying priorities. Um, so, you know, a big part, a big incentive to being an altar server, uh, while there were more noble reasons for me was getting out of class to serve at funerals. And um, if it was on a, a Sunday mass, it was being on the altar and, you know, fancy white robes in front of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people. Like, what a cool thing as a little kid to get all that attention and be a part of the liturgy. But there's also like this, while while there are those more vain and and uh, uh, vicious uh, reasons to to do what would otherwise just be good things. Um, there is also this permeating mystery uh, surrounding all of those things that was always uh, present to me. I was always aware of that mystery, even though I didn't fully understand it. Um, and so I, I think that that's just kind of an analog for just generally the the faith life of of a child growing up. Like you're you're surround, especially in this culture where like when I was a kid, we didn't have cable internet with instant access to so much good and bad and you know mm -hmm. at the time i had to listen to the you know waiting for a connection and something might take like two years to download right oh, yeah um and so we're in such a an alien culture now uh that that is just so foreign from anything that humanity has ever seen before and um it, it definitely tugs the heart in so many different directions but I experienced that even as a kid um, uh, in, in the culture as it was then. And so, yeah, that was my upbringing. And uh, well, that was part of my upbringing. My, my parents uh, got a divorce despite that like devout faith life that we were living. Um, the, the divorce took place after my fourth grade year in the summer. Mm -hmm. And um, that presented a whole new slew of dynamics related to um, that tugging in multiple directions where you're literally torn between two upbringings, two households. Let's just right there. Uh, I look at that as a good Friday moment followed by, oh, yeah. followed by an uncertainty. Uh, talk about how you eventually came to experience resurrection after that Holy Saturday moment. That took years. Yeah. It took, and it would be, it would be, um, I would, I would be insincere or, or really just kind of neglecting, a truth within me mm -hmm. to say that I'm fully out of it. Yeah, it's still a, a tension. It's still something that uh, is is a challenge for my for my own heart because, like, the the family is meant to be this sacred nucleus that that children can thrive in that um, that is like a safe root, uh, a safe foundation for our lives. Um, even as adults, we're meant to be able to to lean into our parents in a way that this culture of divorce um, really doesn't make space for and, and is kind of lost sight of. Uh, so, you know, that is something I have found a lot of healing for. 
um, a lot of uh, mending in the, the relationships and, and even just kind of, I, I would honestly say that a big part of my healing with my parents' divorce has been now as an adult in my coming into faith in, in such a profound way, identifying with my heavenly citizenship, my, my heavenly family nucleus, the, the foundation, the bedrock of my, my uh, church family um, in a way that that will never go away. That will never uh, find a divorce, right? Like uh, I will never be, t- now obviously we have the, the, uh, the great schism. We have the, the Protestant reformation. Those are many divorces, right? But, but uh, you know, in, in a supernatural and profound way, like I have found so much um, healing and identifying more with the church than in any other earthly institution. Yeah. Yeah. So I interrupted you. You're, you're at this place after your fourth grade year, your parents have divorced and, and your journey continues. It certainly does. Yes. Um, so yeah. Uh, what I was getting at with, with like the, the dual tracts of upbringing was even though my parents, my parents are both incredible people. They're both absolutely awesome. They're gems, but they also just have totally differing, um, worldviews about what is right and wrong, even under that Catholic umbrella, like, uh, or the Catholic label, like just totally different approaches to morality. And when you're a young kid and I'm the oldest sibling, so I'm the, I'm the one of the three of us that remembers literally everything. Um, when you're a young kid, like that is so confusing in an already confusing culture when, you know, your classmates are also confusing you and your passions are also confusing you. Uh, and then in, uh, sixth grade, uh, I developed a really strong addiction to pornography uh, and not like magazines, like moving images, right? Like videos. Um, And it just, it just kind of, I I just descended further and further into this darkness of confusion and loneliness and uh, lack of meaning, lack of appreciation for the dignity of the human person, even in myself, um, let alone for those around me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so essentially, um, I just started like faith started mattering less and less to me. If it, if it mattered truly at any point, I think I was always, like I said, surrounded and, and swimming in the mystery of that, the mystery of liturgy, the mystery of uh, prayer. But um, you know, being brought up in a Catholic school, the way that things were taught, and I know that so many Catholic schools are doing so much to, to rectify this, but the way that faith was conveyed, it was almost more like it was only as relevant as like a history class. Yeah. Like here are things that happened, um, allegedly, you know, (laughs) and, and, and it was, it was really not conveyed in a way that helped my classmates and I have any appreciation for the relevance to our lives. And it's not for lack of trying. They just had no idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, um, I grew up essentially, uh, further and further and especially into high school, very worldly, very secular in my passions, very uh, secular in my life's goals. So in my freshman year of high school, I auditioned for freshman choir because um, it was an easy A. I had no idea I had any musical talent. And uh, in my, uh, after I sang for my audition, the choir director like stops playing piano. He turns around to me. He's like, uh, you got a million dollar voice. And I was like, um, I, okay, can I, can I get that A? You know, like I, I didn't really have an appreciation for like the guy. I thought he was just off his rocker, you know, yeah. no, no, no premise for that. And, 
And so as, as my time in freshman choir went on, I would keep getting selected for solos. And then I started getting tied into the, the scene, you know, with the musical scene. And um, eventually I just started to really become proud of being that guy that was known in the high school for like being the next Josh Groban, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just was so bad for me. <laughs> like <laughs> um, it was terrible. And uh, between whatever natural inclinations I already had, from addiction to pornography and whatever, like becoming a womanizer became even easier with this notoriety as the next Josh Groban. And, uh, it was just a hot mess, big, big old recipe for disaster. And, uh, I just kept plummeting deeper and deeper into like this place of, uh, cause even it's interesting. There's, there's this, um, dichotomy at play where it's like, even when you become more quote unquote noteworthy, um, and even when, when you build that type of reputation and that you're super talented and whatever, and people start to like notice you at the same exact time, you grow in loneliness mm-hmm. because because you're you're almost like losing sight of real relationships. You're losing sight of what a real relationship should be and why you should desire it. And so you almost become internally isolated and especially becoming further and further detached from um, your roots in a relationship with the Lord, which is what we were literally designed for. And so when you are becoming your own God, you're, you're moving further and further away from turning to God to be God and to be our heavenly father and to be in relationship with Christ as our brother and savior and King. Like it's, it's such an interesting dichotomy. And, and I definitely experienced that. Starting from this point, I think that this is something that plays right into our understanding of Holy Saturday moments. Because when we hit this crisis point, the question inevitably becomes, how am I going to get out of this? Right? How, mm-hmm. am, how am I going to readjust my plans to account for all that's happened? How am I going to grieve this? How am I going to heal from this? How am I going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished? And this, this putting of ourselves as the primary actor in these moments um, puts, I think, an even more undue pressure and stress on us uh, and and can lead to kind of a, a rock bottom moment. It, it's in these moments, I think, that when we can appropriate the Easter story, the Paschal mystery, that there is God acting even when it looks like God is absent. Uh, that, you know, we're going to later in the show here, we're going to read the Easter, the, the Holy Saturday homily, that, that even in death, Christ is going and freeing the captives. Like there is something that is happening that God is doing, even when we feel his complete and utter absence. And I think if we can take that Holy Saturday mentality into our other crises in life, we can say, oh, I don't see God moving, but I can be assured that he is, and I don't have to feel the weight of responsibility in this moment. Yes, I completely agree with that. Um, And I I almost feel as though there has to be a death for there to be, I mean, obviously there has to be a death for there (laughs) to be a resurrection, obviously. But what I mean more is like in our own lives, in, in any circumstance we find ourselves in, in order to get to that next place of, of whether it's healing or whatever, there has to be 
a death. And we, we don't want that. <laughs> we never want that, but, but it's just a part of the equation. I mean, um, you know, and, and to be honest with you, it doesn't stop there in my story. So I, even up to this point, basically the custody battles, like I said, the divorce happened after fourth grade and the custody battles did not end until it was irrelevant because I turned 18. Um, and so I was always on, on top of the confusion and the loneliness and the, the disordered passions and, and goals for my life um, and vanity. On top of all of that, I was still in this conflict between my parents. Um, and I never, the, the idea of having a home was such a foreign concept because I was literally my entire upbringing living out of a duffel bag. Mm. And so um, I had always said growing up, like, when I, as soon as I graduate high school, as soon as I turn 18, I'm moving to South Florida because that's where a lot of my extended family is. And, you know, frankly, at this point in my life in high school, it was also because it, it's easier to make bad choices when you're far away from your family, right? So um, it was a very enticing uh, concept. And I did that. I moved to South Florida after high school. And um, that's where I ended up finding myself uh, getting plugged into a, a Unitarian Universalist church and you know, you want to talk about confusing worldviews, confusing messages and theology, like that's the apex of that in my, in my experience. Um, and that ultimately the, the totally bizarro nature of that, um, the teachings there and the, the culture in a Unitarian Universalist church uh, ultimately led me into atheism. And um, in that journey, uh, there were times in my loneliness, even though I had extended family near me, like I was just isolating so much. And there were, you know, you, you watch movies and you see someone's life spinning out of control in a montage and they wake up in places they don't recognize. That was my life in South Florida. It was awful. And there were mornings I was, frankly, I, I woke up and, and didn't know if I would have or not. Right. And um, that to me was the climax of my Good Friday. Uh, it was it was in those moments where I did not know if I would wake up the next morning. And we we need that because even even think about nature, the the cycles of the seasons, like there has to be death for there to be new life. Even our computers, if something's not working, what do you do? <laughs> you reboot it. it. You yeah. reboot it. And, and what did God do with all of creation? Because it was so broken, he had to hit the reset button. And that's what he did when he sent um, his son, Christ, into this earth, uh, into this world. Um, and he, he basically hit the reboot button, right? We have a new Adam and a new Eve in Mary. Um, and, and it's all culminating, as you read in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, it's all culminating in a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. But, but what the, the, the hinge of all of that is, is the crucifixion, is the death that could introduce this new life. And, you know, there have been times, even in our marriage, I, I've been married for 10 years this July, and I, my wife and I are so insanely in love with each other, even after 10 years, but we've been on a heck of a journey mm -hmm. and we're still on that journey. And there are these moments, some of them are not that long ago where it's like, God, what are you doing? Like step in, please. Like this is a long enough good Friday now, God, <laughs> like, yeah. but inevitably that, that, that Holy Saturday, that in between time 
um, that awkward in between time where we're, where we can experience so much fear um, and so much anxiety, it always leads to an Easter Sunday. It's just not always on the timetable that we want. It's never, it's never it, on the timetable. Never on it. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking today with Nick Delatora. He's the the founder of Awaken Catholic. It started out as a couple of uh, shows in his basement. It's turned into so much more. Now it's an app that you can get. Watch uh, the the shows. Listen to the podcast. There's so much content there at awakencatholic.org. Uh, so here we are in your Good Friday. You finally kind of reached the end of your rope. You've come through atheism. You're not sure if you're going to wake up the next morning or not. Uh, you're obviously not there now. What was that kind of turning point moment, prodigal son looking at the pig slop saying, oh, there's got to be more than this. Yeah. Uh, what sort of the boomerang and how did that work? Well, uh, so eventually, uh, my girlfriend, uh, who is now my wife, spoiler alert, uh, she, uh, we had met in high school, we started dating in high school. And in my time in South Florida, we had broken up, uh, which thanks be to God, because like, she was just this incredible Christian girl her whole life. And I was a train wreck. Um, and again, even in our relationship, there had to be a death for there to be new life. Right. So eventually though, um, we end up connecting again. And I, I move in my desperation, in my loneliness, I, I moved back to Ohio uh, to be with her. And in that time, I started attending a non-denominational church that uh, she was attending with her family. And I really only did it to, you know, make her parents happy. And, but it was at that church, uh, you know, I started, I actually joined the, the worship band um, and you know, I play multiple instruments. And so they would kind of like use me wherever I needed to be used. And, um, but I was a part of this team leading worship of a God that like, I really didn't even believe in. And I, uh, after several months of, of this activity, there was a sermon where the pastor played a video and it was the everything song by Lifehouse. There was this skit that had gone viral online and you can still find it on YouTube now if you look for everything skit Lifehouse. If you search that on YouTube, uh, it's the one with the most views. It's got millions. Um, and basically, he plays this video and it depicts this woman that had been uh, a beautiful choreography to this incredibly powerful song. And uh, it depicts Jesus creating the son of God, the, the word of God, creating this woman. And it's beautiful. They have this nice dance. And then gradually these temptations and these um, fears and these jealousies start to pull her away from God. And uh, it's depicted so powerfully how that, and, and accurately to the way that it happens in our lives. And then eventually there, there comes this moment where she is just so overwhelmed by this horde of demons that are keeping her away from God and keeping God away from her. And, um, one of them ends up, and, and Christ is trying so hard to get to her, but she is just engulfed. She's drowning in this sea of demons. And eventually gets to the point where this uh, demon hands her a gun. And trembling, she starts to hold the gun up to the temple of her head. And she ends up throwing the gun down and trying so hard to get to Christ and he's reaching for her and she's reaching for him. And the demons are fighting back and not letting it happen. 
And eventually Jesus Chuck Norris's all of these demons. <laughs> and and uh, and the the re, uh, reunification that happens there is so powerful. And um, and he part of the choreography is that he takes the the black uh, clothing that she was wearing and it, it reveals this beautiful pure white clothing beneath it, like the the redemption that we can find in the sacrament of confession or in baptism if you haven't even been baptized. And um, it's just so powerful. And I was weeping mm-hmm. like a small child um, because I was her and I didn't know what the answers were. Uh, I, I just knew that I needed saving because I was not in a good way and things were not headed in a good direction. And I knew I needed saving. I still had intellectual challenges that I had to reconcile with. But at, in that moment, I didn't care. I just knew I needed saving. So my heart was softened. And um, I started going down on, on this new journey of discovery to figure out how can I make this work intellectually um, and and how do I make a relationship with him real for me? So that was how that started. Uh, and then in that journey of discovery, I was really just casting out the possibility that Catholicism was an option because uh, I'd grown up with it. I was overly familiar with it. And um, and in an authentic relationship was really never part of that equation. So I just assumed it wasn't the answer. Right. And eventually I'm in a geology class at Bowling Green State University. And, you know, everyone knows geology classes are where all miracles happen. Um, I was sitting in class and we, our professor partners us with people and for this project. And the young guy that I got partnered with, um, he was using a writing utensil, a pen that I noticed. Um, and it said, creed on campus and i was like oh what's that pen about and he's like oh that's the catholic group on campus you should totally come and i was like no i'm good man uh, i've been down that road and he's like no really you should come we're going to be talking about sex and i was like oh what time does it start um, <laughs> and so what it was was literally the very next night after that invitation in that geology class christopher west was mm. on campus and uh presenting to thousands of people in the ballroom of this university And I heard him there. And mind you, like so many of my wounds and addictions at this point are sexual. Um, And so many of my wounds have to do with a lack of appreciation for like the dignity, my own dignity, let alone the dignity of of other men and women. And It's really interesting to me how many people uh, have as part of their journey, the work of Christopher West and his treatment of St. Pope John Paul II's theology of the body. Uh, he was fairly instrumental in my own coming into the church, uh, and I think that it speaks to the level of of woundedness and, and the lack of an understanding of what it means to be a person that our society goes through, that that is such a profound awakening for so many of us. Just after this break, we're going to continue our conversation with Nick Delatora, founder of Awaken Catholic. It's a new media organization. You can uh, follow them at awakencatholic.org. Get the app, watch the shows, and so much more. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There you'll find links to the Awaken Catholic app and so much more. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Nick Delatora, founder of Awaken Catholic, awakencatholic.com, about his story, his journey. Raised in the Catholic Church, he went through difficulty, left the Catholic Church, eventually left the faith entirely uh, as he entered into a period of atheism. And then has now, we're coming back to the place where he's been reintroduced to Christianity. He's about to be reintroduced to Catholicism in a new way uh, as we continue with this story. Uh, And then now has entered fully into Catholicism Mm. with an understanding of the relational component of how we're related to God. Uh, But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about how all of our stories have a, a pattern that they have to go through as children. There are certain procedures and and things that you do within a family. You know, you got to do the chores. You got to do all of the things that are around. And and they don't inherently feel like relationship, right? They always feel Mm -hmm. like a burden, even though there is a relational component to them. Yes. Uh, And you have that same thing with church. You know, we go to church. You got to sit still. I hate sitting still. I I don't like church. And, you know, sometimes parents can go, what, you don't like church? And I just smile yeah. at my kids. I'm like, it's okay. You will, you know, right now, yeah. right now we're just going to do what we do and, and we're going to feel the rhythms of it. But I think that where so many people get maybe tripped up is they're never led from a place of, uh, of learning to, to participate in church, to learning to participate in the Paschal Mystery. We're mm. kind of, let's look at it from a, from an 80s reference, if I may. Uh, you go back and you watch the Karate Kid. We're all stuck oh. in the on the wax on and the wax off, and we don't yet see how it connects. That's such a good uh, analogy. And so I think that one of the the roles that we have as parents is as often as possible and as carefully as possible to introduce the connection of the wax on, wax off to those relational components of faith. Because no matter how often you do it, your kids aren't going to get it every time, right? Yeah. There's going to be a moment that they get it, but you have to be there in that moment as well as all the previous times before. And so mm-hmm. for for many people that get short-circuited, and so they're left never making that connection. Maybe the parents thought the church was going to do it. Maybe the parents um, were communicating in a different way and in Somehow it didn't get across because that child thought in a different way than the parents were trying to communicate it. Maybe, like in your situation, the communication got short-circuited by all the other things that were going on in life. Um, but I think that universally, kids don't just grow up getting it, right? It's not mm-hmm. this automatic thing of, oh, this is about relationship with the divine. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here we are. You have had that communication short-circuited. You grew up in the church, but it wasn't about that relationship with God for you. You found your way looking for fulfillment in other places. Those places turned up empty. And now you're moving back because of relationship. You're near uh, your girlfriend and her family. You go to this uh, the college class. You're in geology class. Uh, and you get invited to this Catholic event. Christopher West is there speaking, uh, as he does, about the theology of the body, which had profound impact for you. Now, let's go from there. What happens next? Well, 
it, it needs to be shared that uh, one of the things that drove me towards atheism was that I, um, I struggled with the idea that, you know, because I was so engulfed in uh, and surrounded by this, you know, Protestant culture, and then, and then all the more so with Unitarian Universalists, um, but in Protestant culture, like we're all, everybody's looking at the Bible for truth. And it is the sole source of truth, right? And then everybody in um, uh, referring to this sole source of truth of, you know, sola scriptura, um, everybody's coming up with a different answer and uh, a different set of standards for what is the truth and what God expects from us or not. And uh, to me, it just totally invalidated the entire venture of Christianity. Because if you can, if you contrast that with uh, secular society, if you contrast that with like science, um, obviously in the world of science, a lot of things are considered theories and whatever, but you still get this uh, unanimous consensus on a lot of core things like gravity, like um, in mathematics, two plus two equals four. And if you argue that you need help, right? Like there, that is the way that something is true looks is that we have this unanimous consensus. And then in contrast, you have this thing, this Bible that is supposed to be the truth, but nobody can agree on anything. Um, and in fact, it's encouraged to, if you disagree with your pastor, start your own church. Like that's literally the invitation of the original Protestant reformers, essentially. Yeah. And, and so how can this possibly be true? And, you know, moving even deeper into that trajectory in the Unitarian Universalist uh, line of thinking, the worldview, the, the theology, if you can call it that, your invitation is to literally create your own truth. Like, not just if you interpret the Bible differently than your pastor, create your own church. It's literally create your own truth. They have this uh, book store at the church I was going to in South Florida um, and it's filled with books and documents from all the different major world religions and even some less major world religions. And it's literally like this buffet line of, you know, make your own platter of ideas that you want to cling to as true. Um, and to me, that was the last straw. It's like, okay, all of this is bogus. Like, it's all ridiculous that we're, we're, we're creating this for our own comfort and um, it's all not true. Mm-hmm. So just the idea of God itself, I, I, I found no justification to defend that. And so um, when I went to this Christopher West event, fast forwarding now, yeah. uh, there he said a lot of stuff that blew my mind, even just from the standpoint that somebody was saying these things uh, about sexuality, human dignity. I had literally never heard anyone talk about the human person and human relationships and marriage and sexuality with such authority of teaching and with such soundness of mind, such clarity, and for it to not only be Christian, but for it to be Catholic. And that's not to say that I agreed with everything he was saying, but I was blown away by just what was being said and it mystified me. Um, and and then he's, he, he said something, there's there one thing he said that was completely pivotal to the entire equation of Nick's mind. Um, and he, he talked about how the use of artificial contraception less than 100 years ago was considered to be, the use of it was considered to be intrinsically evil by every Christian denomination 
all over the world. There was not a single Christian denomination that taught otherwise. Um, and that today, the only Christian church that still teaches that is the Catholic church. Um, and that the reason that it still teaches that is that when something is true, it just is always true. And, um, and that in over 2000 years, the Catholic church has never changed any of its teachings about anything at any point for any reason. And that, uh, the only church that makes that claim is the Catholic church. And that less than like, he literally starts this very brief catechetical historical moment talking about the history of, of, uh, the church and, and the anthropology of like how as a people, like it was only 500 years ago that we had this divergence. I, and I had never learned the details of, of the history of the Protestant Reformation. And he just grazed on it for a moment, all under this umbrella of addressing this issue of artif- the use of artificial contraception. Mm-hmm. And I was like, A, I was super annoyed at the notion that the use of artificial contraception was evil. Like that was of no interest to me. But but the, the core of what mattered to me is what he was talking about related to objective truth and consistency of teaching. And that was interesting to me. And mm-hmm. no one had ever broached these ideas in all of my years of Catholic schooling, in all of my years of you know being surrounded by Catholics, nobody addressed this issue. And that is what drove me to atheism. And it was specifically in the context of the Protestant Reformation that we suddenly saw people playing games with truth. And and like all of a the sudden, these these diverging ideas and stuff. And it's not like we didn't have dissident ideas presented before the Protestant Reformation. That was always the case, except it was just called heresy and it was addressed as such at the time and so there was still this concept of uniformity and consistency uh and preservation of objective truth and i just literally that night changed everything uh hearing these ideas of objective truth and consistency and i just went down this rabbit hole of learning and i was devouring every book i could read uh, consuming every bit of content i could consume and literally TL, three months later, I was teaching a confirmation class. Like I was all in. So Nick Delatora, you have come to this place where you now are returning to your roots, um, but you're dating someone who has grown up in the <laughs> Protestant church. Uh, she's now your wife, spoiler alert, as you gave us <laughs> earlier. Uh, what was that? Sw- because it sounds like a very quick switch for you. Even oh, though yes. there's there's a whole history that goes into that choice, it's still a very fast turnaround. How did she take it? What did that look like in that relationship? Yeah, yeah, we broke up. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, we uh, there were there had to be one final big old death in our relationship, uh, but we thought it was the death. Like we thought that relationship was done, both mm-hmm. of us. Um, she was completely unopened to Catholicism. She wanted to raise a good Protestant family. Uh, and I was very suddenly like, well, heck, I'm going to become a priest, you know? And I started um, discerning priesthood and I went on discernment retreats, uh, staying with the mon- uh, the monks at the, the monastery, St. Meinrad, uh, and like just all in. I fell in love with a devout, almost monastic uh, prayer life uh, after my time spent with them, you know, praying the liturgy of the hours. And mm-hmm. I was just sold out for God and, and the Catholic church. And because uh, I found for the first time meaning 
and, and true meaning rooted in truth. A lot of times we, we find meaning rooted in very superficial things because we find acceptance in a, in a small group of people that, you know, are very niche in their passions and, and, you know, but be, finding your meaning rooted in the foundation of truth and, and discovering like what we were literally made for. Um, and, and finding that authentic healing that the church offers through the sacraments, like there is nothing like it at all. Now we often talk about uh, these journeys and we culminate with the entrance into the church because that's the big triumphant moment. But the truth of the matter is these Holy Saturday moments where everything falls apart and we're not sure what to do. And we, we don't know where all of our plans go from here. They continue to happen after we have entered the Catholic Church or after we, you know, even if we've been raised in the Catholic Church, there are still these moments where we are invited into a, a suffering and death of our own dreams or desires in order to experience the resurrection that God has for us. If you're willing to share, what are some of those moments and what have you learned after having returned to the church of God's constancy and God's resurrection plans for each of us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for starters, I knew very immediately, I had to slam the brakes on my pursuit of becoming the next Josh Groban, mm -hmm. for example. Um, like, it's not, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with opera. It's actually a beautiful art form. The issue was that I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I wanted to be rich and famous. Um, and that was not conducive to my becoming a saint. That was not conducive to letting the Lord work through me in the ways in which I knew he needed to. Um, and because so much of my uh, vice and my, my sin in my life was rooted in vanity and pride, like I had to let go of anything that was reminiscent of that, um, anything that could pull me back towards that. Um, you know, almost like anyone that's struggling with addiction of any kind, right? Like if someone's going through AA, they don't walk into a bar, even if they don't plan to take a drink. Like right. they keep themselves away from that stuff until they've found enough healing and, and gone through enough of a process where they can be around it. Um, but even that, you have to be really discerning about that, right? And so for me, I had to just cut music mm -hmm. for, for some amount of time um, and uh, just pursue God. You say um, that with a conga drum behind you. <laughs> well, that time is up. I'm no longer not pursuing music. <laughs> yeah, eventually uh, I started to uh, lead music for nights of worship, uh, adoration uh, at the university parish in town. And that was kind of my gradual reintroduction of music. Um, and then my wife, well, my now wife, Alina at the time, even though we weren't together and even though we had no plans of getting back together and I was... I was either going to become a priest or raise a super Catholic family. We were done. And, right. and so she on her own was haunted by the things that she heard me talk about in the Catholic faith. And even the things that she heard Christopher West talk about and the people that I was surrounding myself with suddenly. And she had to contend with some of these notions that were haunting her related to the, the lack of validity of Protestantism in terms of like the way in which they approach accessing truth um, and some of the ways in which she had been trained her whole life to understand Catholicism as literally evil, as literally counter to God. Um, and so she started this 
journey of discovery where she would secretly meet with my friends <laughs> just to try to pin down some of these questions and, and try to discover, you know, the exact way to explain like they're wrong about stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that and come out not Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, especially when it's an authentic search for truth. And so she on her own was on this path towards Catholicism. It took her three RCIA classes for it to stick. Um, but she did it and it was not for me. It was for her. Uh, and, uh, here we are. (laughs) So there's so much more to this and we'll have to, we'll have to hit this another time. Uh, I look forward to hearing a little bit of her story as well in the future. We've been talking today with Nick Delatora. He is the founder of Awaken Catholic. It's turned into a thing, right? You, I mean, (laughs) Uh, you've got a, several shows on there. We've actually talked about it before as we had John Mark and Teresa Grody on the show talking about their program, uh, Elevate Ordinary, mm-hmm. that appears on the network. You know, I look at Awaken Catholic and I look at how the production values and I look at the things that are getting put into it and I kind of see it as uh, at least a contender for the future of, of Catholic media. It's really well done. Lots of good stuff there. Um, you you want to download it uh, at awakencatholic.org as something to do for your Easter, uh, Easter observance as you enter into the the feasting and the beauty and all that, that accompanies that there's lots of good stuff there for you to take a look at. Uh, Yeah. And, and on the, the topic that we're discussing today of this, this, you know, uh, Paschal mystery and the Holy Saturday, um, we we did a lot of really cool stuff for Lent uh, that'll really translate if you're interested in diving into stories like mm-hmm. this. So we had this Lenten series of devotions called Awaken Your Lent. And one of them was called Desert Stories. And every day of Lent, uh, so there are 40 stories out, um, every day of Lent, we had a different author provide their desert story. So a, a, a period of time in which they were in a desert in life or felt deserted by God. And how ultimately God's love, power, and mercy shown through in the end. And there are 40 different stories like that. Uh, just visit our app because it's super powerful stuff. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, TL. If you missed any part of the conversation with Nick Delatora, or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There's a brand new look to the website if you haven't been in a while. I think it's a little bit easier to navigate. You've got the whole guest list there uh, and more that you, you can find access to our extra segments through the Patreon support community. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we give them an extra segment each and every week. Uh, Learn more by clicking that Patreon link on the top navigation bar of OutsideTheWalls.com. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the catechism, to the magisterial documents of the church, biblical commentaries, and so much more. Verbum is on sale this month. There's a discount. You can learn more by going to verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the Good Friday reading. It's the psalm of the day, and we hear, Father, Into your hands I commend my spirit. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your justice, rescue me. Into your hands I commend my spirit. 
You will redeem me, O Lord, O faithful God. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. For all my foes, I am an object of reproach, a laughingstock to my neighbors, and a dread to my friends. They who see me abroad flee from me. I am forgotten like the unremembered dead. I am like a dish that is broken. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But my trust is in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. In your hands is my destiny. Rescue me from the clutches of my enemies and my persecutors. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your kindness. Take courage and be stout-hearted, all you who hope in the Lord. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That reading is the responsorial psalm from Good Friday, and this is, to me, the crux of Holy Saturday. Whenever we find ourselves in a moment of desolation, in this uncertainty of where is God in this moment? Where is my Redeemer? Where is the one who I trusted to save me? Uh, he, it feels like he is in the tomb. It feels like he is removed from me and all my hope is gone. What do I do now? Well, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. We trust that God is active even when we can't experience it, when we can't feel it, when we can't sense it that God is still active and active on our behalf for our good. And nowhere is this more beautifully illustrated than in the ancient homily for Holy Saturday. This has become a bit of a tradition for us to read this. Of course, every week we have some reading from church history, but whenever Holy Saturday rolls around, it, it just feels like nothing else fits. And so we come back to this one. And each year I learn something else about it, or, or it strikes me a little differently. And so let's together again read this ancient homily from Holy Saturday. Something strange is happening. There is a great silence on earth today, a great silence and stillness. The whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh and has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh, and hell trembles with fear. He has gone to search for our first parent as for a lost sheep, greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death. He has gone to free from sorrow the captives, Adam and Eve, he who is both God and the son of Eve. The Lord approached them, bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him the victory. At the sight of him, Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror and cried out to everyone, My Lord be with you all. Christ answered him, And with your spirit. He took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I am your God, who for your sake have become your son. Out of love for you and for your descendants, I now by my own authority command all who were held in bondage to come forth and all who were in darkness to be enlightened 
and all who were sleeping to arise. I order you, O sleeper, to awake. I did not create you to be held a prisoner in hell. Rise from the dead, for I am the life of the dead. Rise up, work of my hands, you who were created in my image. Rise, let us leave this place, for you are in me and I am in you. Together we form only one person and cannot be separated. For your sake, I, your God, became your son. I, the Lord, took on the form of a slave. I, whose home is above the heavens, descended to the earth and beneath the earth. For your sake, for the sake of man, I became like a man, without help, free among the dead. For the sake of you who left a garden, I was betrayed to the Jews in a garden, and I was crucified in a garden. See, on my face the spittle I received in order to restore to you the life I once breathed into you. See there the marks of the blows I received in order to refashion your warped nature in my image. On my back, see the marks of scourging I endured to remove the burden of sin that weighs upon your back. See my hands, nailed firmly to a tree, for you who once wickedly stretched out your hand to a tree. I slept on the cross, and a sword pierced my side for you who slept in paradise and brought forth Eve from your side. My side has healed the pain in yours. My sleep will rouse you from your sleep in hell. The sword that pierced me has sheathed the sword that was turned against you. Rise, let us leave this place. The enemy led you out of the earthly paradise. I will not restore you to that paradise, but I will enthrone you in heaven. I forbade you the tree that was only a symbol of life, but see, I who am life itself am now one with you. I appointed cherubim to guard you as slaves are guarded, but now I make them worship you as God. The throne formed by cherubim awaits you, its bearers swift and eager. The bridal chamber is adorned, the banquet is ready, the eternal dwelling places are prepared, the treasure houses of all good things lie open. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared for you from all eternity. That reading comes from an ancient homily on Holy Saturday, and the line that stuck out to me that I wanted to share with you today in the little time we have together is this. Greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, he has gone to free from sorrow the captives Adam and Eve. When you find yourself in a Holy Saturday moment, he is actively moving for your good because he greatly desires to visit you, to be with you face-to-face, person-to-person. God is coming to redeem you. Resurrection is right around the corner. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Michael and Julie Highland and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.